Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. The biggest thing that, that always trips me up is uh, analysis paralysis, you know, or paralysis by analysis, just overthinking things, you know, getting into a, a spreadsheet or filling out a piece of paper with a pencil and then turning it over and erasing and trying it again. And and ultimately that just leads to inaction, you know, or, or a false sense of action because you think you're taking action because you're doing the analysis, but you're not actually you know, whatever it is, making the offer, picking up the phone, going to the event, whatever it is. And so really the biggest thing is just just taking action. Just get out there and just do it. Just pick up the phone, talk to the person, knock on the door, make the offer, whatever it is. And that's, it's something I really wrestle with. Um, but that is always led to actually doing a deal and, and having more success. Just get out there and just take action. Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Real Estate Lab Podcast. In this lab, we decode the stories, secrets, and skills of the most brilliant minds in real estate investing, then turn their wisdom into practical advice and knowledge that we can use to boost our income. And now, let's turn it over to our host, V. It's a great day to be alive and to invest in real estate. My name is V Koo, and you are now listening to my show, The Real Estate Lab Podcast. How are you doing, Labmate? I'm sure you're doing your best to keep your family safe. We are surviving this economic standstill right now. But how about finding out ways that you can thrive after we can go back to our quote-unquote healthy life? In today's brief episode, I will share with you a conversation that I had with my long-term friends in the real estate investing world. He's a father of two a full-time real estate investor, a coach, and he is the senior loan officer of Pine Financial Group. Last but not least, he's my good friend, Justin Cooper. Now, Justin was born and raised in New York. He came to Colorado and attended Colorado State University. Justin started investing in real estate in 2007. Now, in 2011, he joined Pine Financial Group, a hard money lending firm here in Denver, and never looked back. Since then, he had completed several fix and flipped projects, bought performing and non-performing notes, and he had spoken nationally on various real estate investing topics to crowd up to 500 people. I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation a lot. Our topic today is around hard money lenders. What do they do and how do you use them? Justin and I will share all of that with you. Now let's get started. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Lab Podcast. Um, I have a longtime friends here with me here today, uh, Justin Cooper. How are you doing, Coop? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. I, we've known each other for a long, long time. And uh, today is finally the day that I have the chance to, uh, you know, have an hour long chat with you. Yeah, I'm excited. I, uh, when I saw your name popping up and I saw you at some different events, I got really excited to, uh, to, to see you around again. And so I'm, I'm really glad we were able to catch up here. Yeah, awesome. Just kind of come out of scene again here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Coop, how good were you at basketball in seventh grade? That is an awesome <laughs> question. So I, I don't know where you have found any of this or if this is just a random question 
but uh, I did play basketball back in seventh grade. Uh, I think I scored eight points all season, um, which certainly wasn't good because it was a very long season, or at least it felt that way. Um, but, uh, you know, I felt like I was good. I felt tall. But uh, no, I was not very good. And uh, played, I think, in eighth grade again, and then never made it to the team in high school. So I thought I was pretty good in seventh grade, but clearly uh, that was all in my head. <laughs> you know, I... I brought this up because I was doing the research and I saw, okay, you know, you were in a team and stuff and, and, you know, we have some of the tragedy happen in the basketball world this past weekend. So, you know, I thought you should bring it up and, you know, just kind of talk about your past a little bit here. And um, since we're talking about the past here, uh, I want to take the listener back to when you and I first met. Um, as I recall, we were talking on a parking lot at the Radisson Hotel um, Parker and I two two five here in uh, Aurora. Uh, at the time, you had just gone through some training and and coaching, but I can remember you didn't have much success. However, since joining Pine Financial, though, I see you everywhere having massive, massive success. So, can you tell me what was the tipping point for you? Yeah, that's a that is a very specific uh memory and that's exactly where i remember uh meeting you and really spending some time with you so that's that's fantastic um so what had happened was back in 2007 that's when i bought my first investment property and that was going to be a fix and flip uh and i guess people would probably call it a fix and flop so uh, <laughs> that's the way it actually went so uh bought in 2007 which uh, for a lot of folks, was an amazing time to be buying their first property uh, if you knew what you were doing. And I did not know what I was doing. So I had been through, you know, one of those big national gurus uh, courses and I thought I knew what I was doing. And I hired a real estate agent who had also been through the same course. So I thought that they knew what they were doing. Uh, and so it turns out, you know, neither of us really knew anything about investing in real estate. And I made probably all the classic mistakes. Um, Enough so that over the years, as I've been meeting with people and talking to people, uh, uh, retelling this story, I said, you know what, instead of me just telling one-off stories of this, why don't I just put it into a big old presentation? And so I put together a two-hour presentation, five what? surefire ways to lose money on your first or next flip. <laughs> and, okay. so basically, and basically, I just went back through the five biggest reasons I lost money uh, back then, which are all the highlights. Knowing your value, your ARV having a scope of work, having enough cash, having the right team in place, um, being focused, you know. And then I kind of dive into a little side notes about all the other reasons, um, you know, that I got distracted and, and didn't make any money on it. But um, but yeah, so my first property was back in 2007. Uh, it was supposed to be a fix and flip. And, you know, from all standpoints, that's what I did. I bought it, I fixed it up, and then I sold it and flipped it. Uh, but the thing was, is I didn't make any money on it. And so that really, uh, I wound up losing about $10,000. So not the end of the world, but at that time, I also didn't really have $10,000 to lose. Right. And so um, after that, that's when I think I got hooked up with uh, one of the coaches and mentors that, you know, how you and I met. And that kind of helped set me on the path of uh, of having some more success. But I was very, very gun shy back then uh, because I had just lost money. And so uh, it took a long time to do the Monday morning quarterback stuff and, and evaluate why and how I screwed up to make sure I didn't do it again. But even once I did that, I was still pretty gun shy. So it took me some time to, uh, to, to gain that confidence. And I did a lot of 
introspection, um, coming up with a big vision, coming up with my why, all those types of things that you hear, uh, you know, the gurus and the coaches and everybody saying you got to have. But um, so I did that. I spent the time. And so what I did, part of that was um, coming up with a vision, reverse engineering how to get there. And so really all that was, was I was going to be a hard money lender. I was going to do fix and flips, make a bunch of money. And then by the time I was 55, 65, somewhere in there, I was going to have, you know, a million dollars or a couple million dollars and then uh, lend that money out to real estate investors. Thus still being in the real estate game, but having my money make money for me instead of me having to swing the hammer or manage tenants or any of that stuff. Um, and part of that was I love teaching and sharing what I've learned and my experiences. And so I wanted to share that. And so the second part of that, that end goal vision was to be able to mentor and coach and, and teach the folks I was lending money to. And so I think because I had spelled out this very clear vision of where I wanted to go and how I wanted to get there, you know, the law of attraction, if you will, um, the universe God, whoever, whatever you want to call it, uh, kind of served it up on a silver platter when I was at a networking event and I met this company called Pine Financial and they were still kind of new back then. Um, Pine Financial got started in 2008 and um, turns out they were looking to expand and wanted to hire somebody. And I was more than happy to make a change at the current job that I had. And so we came together and a couple interviews and, and discussions and, and uh, I was brought on to work with Pine Financial. And so all of a sudden, instead of being in my mid to late 50s or 60s, in my early 30s, I was now a hard money lender because that's what Pine Financial is. We're hard money lenders. So I was a hard money lender and I was you know, teaching and consulting because that is a huge um, part of what Pine Financial does in order to uh, educate uh, the market and real estate investors as to what hard money is and how it works. We teach a ton of classes. We host a ton of events. We go to a lot of events. And of course, that's why you've been seeing me everywhere, uh, because that's a huge part of what Pine Financial does for their marketing is getting out there and and sharing what it is and how it all works. Um, and so because of that, I was making uh, massive amounts of connections in the industry. I was meeting every wholesaler out there. I was meeting every lender. I was meeting every real estate agent. I was meeting every uh, real estate investor, making great contacts. Um, and then I have to know what I'm doing if I'm going to be able to share this with other people. I have to know what I'm doing as an investor in order to um, underwrite and you know provide loans to investors. How can I say this is a good deal or not to them if I'm not doing good deals myself? And right. so that first deal was not a good deal, but that is the only deal I've lost money on since then. Uh, I've gone on to do many more uh, fix and flips, all successful. I own a handful of rental properties, uh, mostly successful. Uh, obviously, tenants are sometimes not the easiest, but uh, all of my properties cash flow and have been appreciating. Uh, I've partnered with folks on new construction projects. I've used my self-directed IRA to invest in real estate, uh, to invest in notes, both performing and non-performing. And so, um, you know, a lot of those things that, you know, we all hear as buzzwords, uh, I've actually gone out and done it. So, um, not enough to say I'm maybe an expert in all of them, but, uh, but certainly enough to be successful and to, uh, to be living a lifestyle that, you know, me and my family are really happy with right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, uh, wonderful experience that you have had, you know, in the last few years. So, you know, besides the first one that you lost money on, um, can you share what has been your biggest screw up 
So outside of that deal, which I screwed up probably everything. And like I said, I, I put together a whole two hour, you know, class on that stuff. Um, but uh, outside of that one, probably being a property manager. So when I started buying rental properties, uh, it seemed I don't know, maybe I'm just stubborn or I feel like I have to go through all the motions myself to to learn, even though I can read all the books and, you know, take all the courses and stuff. But sometimes I still have to go through it myself uh, in order to either put all that into practice or just test it out myself. And so when we were buying uh, rental properties, I was managing the properties myself. And I think I found that I am just not a very good property manager. Um, I feel like I have too big of a heart. So when people are calling saying, oh, I can't make the rent payment now, or hey, can you give me an extra week or something like that? I would almost always say, yes, that's okay. And then um, I wasn't very good at checking in and doing uh, inspections. So um, what I found was when there was a turnover, it would uh, require a lot of work uh, to turn that place over. And I don't know, you know, it's hard to say if I had done more inspections, if that would have mitigated this or if I would have caught it sooner or not, but I know I didn't do the inspections and I know the properties needed a lot of work. And so after, uh, you know, several years of managing a couple properties, I finally just uh, figured I have had enough experience now to where I can manage the manager. And I did that Monday morning quarterback thing again and realized, okay, here's the things that I could have done better. I should have done better. Um, and so then I went out and, and hired property manager to uh, really just take on one property at first. But then over time, that went well. And so it's, I've now turned over all, almost all of my properties to a property manager. Okay, so that's your biggest screw up. Can you talk about your most, the most valuable lessons to you that you have learned since joining Pine? Most valuable lessons is probably in valuing property. Uh, coming up with your ARV, your after repair value, or really just any kind of value. But being a hard money lender, what we deal with all day, every day is the after repair value. So when we're lending on fix and flips, the ARV after repair value, that's the the value you're going to sell the property for, right? When the property's all fixed up and beautiful. And so that was one of really ultimately the biggest issue I had on that very first property I did, the biggest reason I lost money. I was off by $50,000. Uh, and that was on a $200,000 property, or not even as it turns out. I thought it was going to be worth 212 and I wound up selling it for 170. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. And so that's almost a 50,000. I think uh, the actual net was like 165. And so that's like almost a $50,000 swing. And so if I had done that right, regardless of all the other things I screwed up on that first deal, um, it would have been profitable. Um, and so I think the biggest lesson. Uh, one of the biggest takeaways is how to really properly value a property and do it quickly and efficiently. Got it. Got it. So let me, let's take off your, your investor hat for a second. Let's put on your hard money hat again and, and talk about Pine Financial for a little bit here. Um, so in the early days, I, I remember uh, Pine Financial just really started by just Kevin, right? At the time you joined was just him. So when I joined, there was Kevin and Travis and Kim. And so Kim handled all the back office stuff. Uh, Travis and Kevin were like the face of Pine Financial. They were going out and talking to the real estate investors and, and trying to drum up the business, people looking for loans. 
Um, and Kevin's focus uh, back then and even now today is in raising money. Um, so all the loans that we make, all the money we lend out is all privately raised. So we don't have any banks behind us or anything like that. And so uh, initially it was really just brokering loans. So we would find a, a high net worth or moderately high net worth individual. And then we would find somebody who needs the money and then we would broker the loan. Um, okay. And we did that you know, for, for a couple of years. And then as things really started taking off, we went out and got formed a couple uh, mortgage funds where really we just started with one, right? One mortgage fund. It was a Reg D offering and we were raising money in that. And then that gave us a little bit more control, a little bit more uh, power um, and a little bit more money on the sidelines, if you will, so that as deals came up, we had money sitting there ready to go. Um, and we didn't necessarily have to wait for um, for an investor or you know the, the lender to approve of the deal because we had the money sitting there and, and it was all based on what we would decide, which is ultimately what we had started doing. We said, this is a great deal, here's why. But then we had to go to an investor and say, what do you think? Do you agree and are you willing to fund this? But once we had those mortgage funds, we didn't necessarily have to do that. Um, and at that time, of course, we had had a track record of lending you know, uh, over X number of deals and X number of years to then you know, make the investors investing in the mortgage fund very comfortable in doing so. Okay. And I want to talk about the way that um, Pine Financial operate. One of the things that I see Pine Financial being different is that you, Kevin, and Travis um, were really at the forefront of content marketing. And Pine has been doing free webinars you know, blog posts and written articles for a very, very long time, even putting on um, events. So what's, what else is different between you and other firms in town? You know, if I were to be approached by some multiple companies at the same time and deciding, you know, what funds to put the money into. So I think that's a, a huge thing that we've been doing. I like that you call it content marketing because uh, that's exactly what we've been doing. You're absolutely right. We have a monthly uh, newsletter that we put out every single month. Um, and every month we're putting out at least two new articles uh, in some form of real estate investing content. It's not all hard money. In fact, probably too little of it is hard money related. Um, but we just are constantly trying to put out just solid content to to the community about real estate investing in general to help build up the community. Um, we teach a ton of classes, um, usually a couple each month. Um, those are usually geared more towards the hard money and just in educating the real estate investor community on what hard money is and how it works. So that's usually a two hour class. We talk about case studies. You know, we start off really gentle, like just what is hard money and we ease into it. Go over some case studies to really paint the picture of how it works uh, and the power of leverage. Um, we teach classes on ARV, we teach classes, you know, like I told you, I put together one, uh, on how not to lose money. Like I did, um, <laughs> lots of different classes in that way. We put together, um, an event once a year, we call it the real estate investor success summit. And what we do there is we take over an event center, uh, for a whole day, a whole day of Saturday, all education and just pure content. There's no sales pitches. Nobody's up there. Uh, we don't have any national, you know, gurus or sales people coming through. It's just all local investors uh, or local service providers talking about what's going on in the local market and how they, of course, can can become better investors. Uh, and we do it for uh, an insanely low price. So it's not, you know, hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars. Uh, it's very reasonable. 
Um, and it's just all, all content, massive amount of networking we get usually between 300 and 500 attendees. So the networking is incredible. Um, because you're there with 300 to 500 of your closest investor buddies, you know, or soon to be buddies, uh, at the event. And so people are doing deals, they're meeting wholesalers, they're selling wholesale deals, you know, they're, they're trading referrals for contractors. Uh, it's an awesome and incredible event. Um, and so we do that both in Denver because that's, uh, we lend in Colorado and we do one in Minnesota because we also lend in, uh, in Minneapolis and St. Paul and a few other towns in Minnesota. So what kind of this, uh, differentiate between Pine financial and other hard money lenders out there? Right. That was your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, it's, it was good. I just want to see, you know, because the, the audience that I, um, I have, a lot of them are looking to invest passively either in, um, syndication or, um, some other ways like buying notes and i'm sure you have done uh, tons of them as well um that you can talk to them but right now i just want to know if i were to put money into a fund you know what makes pi uh, what make pines uh, different yeah so so one of the other things that makes pine different from our competitors is we will provide 100% financing and so what we're talking about there is um 100% of the purchase price, 100% of the repairs, maybe even 100% of the closing costs. So a true no money down deal. And what we've been seeing, you know, as we are now almost a decade out of the, the Great Recession, um, a lot of people have had a lot of success in whatever, you know, industry they've been in, and they see the power of real estate. And so folks are coming in with, with money, uh, trying to be hard money lenders, but they're not offering that no money down deal uh, potentially because they don't understand real estate investing as well as we do. So everyone at Pine Financial Group is an investor. We all own our own rental properties. We all uh, have done new construction projects and fix and flips. Um, we, we're all in the trenches as well as, you know, being the lender. So you've got a lot of experience that goes into who you're bringing in as your team member, right? As your hard money lender. So there's that, the the real world experience of investing that we we bring. It's the the 100% financing that a lot of lenders don't offer. Um, they want you to put money down or they want you to, you know, um, cover your own repairs or whatever that is. And so that's something that makes us a little bit more unique. Um, and then when we do make those loans and we do uh, lend you the repair money, um, our draw process seems to be a lot easier and faster than a lot of our competitors. So what we do there is, first off, we'll give you the first draw at closing. So you have done no work to the property, but you're getting a good chunk of change, maybe you know ten thousand uh, dollars, and that's for the investor to then use to pay for the demo. Maybe they need to order cabinets, you know, something like that, and it helps them get the project moving. Um, now, just because we give them money up front and um, and we can provide one hundred percent financing doesn't mean they can have no money, but it certainly helps uh, get the project moving and keeps the move project moving quickly and easily. And so after that first draw, um, then all the subsequent draws are all based on, a, uh, on what's been completed. So I'm not nitpicking over the invoices or looking for canceled checks for things that have been paid, nothing like that. I just want to see that the work is done. So if you say, hey, Justin, I'm ready for a draw and you know, blah, 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 and the tile is done. Well, when I come out and inspect the property, I want to be able to stand on the tile. 
And so potentially the inspection could be five minutes. I walk into the house, I'm standing on the tile, it's installed, it's grouted. Uh, and, you know, I look at the other things, great, everything is done. And I turn around and I'm out the door and we're getting that next draw out to the investor. So we keep the money moving really quickly and easily. Um, and I think that's another huge benefit because a lot of other investors will only, uh, or a lot of other lenders will release their draws based on reimbursements. So you got to show that you've already paid for it or they get a lot more into the into the weeds on showing the actual invoices and, and critiquing all the numbers and stuff. And we like to just keep the project moving quick and easy. Uh, and, and really that helps the investors get through their projects a lot faster and easier. What's your, um, what's your draw fee? So we, try, we do have a draw fee because somebody is going to come out to the property and there is some paperwork, obviously, on the, in the background that has to happen. And so we charge $100 per draw inspection. Um, and so what we typically do is we'll charge, we'll, we'll estimate how many draws we'll have up front uh, and then we'll charge that upfront at closing. So that's part of those closing costs that we might be able to roll into the loan if the deal is strong enough. Uh, again, that's part of that 100% financing. Um, but if you're in there and you're just plowing through the repairs and you don't necessarily need uh, all the draws or you have to take each individual draw, say you knock out enough work to qualify for two or three draws at once, well, we didn't use those draw fees, right? We didn't inspect that many times. So when the project is done, we'll actually credit back that you know $100, $200 that we didn't use because we didn't inspect that many times. Okay, so let's talk about your 100% financing. Um, what LTV would you go to? So we go up to 70% loan to value of the after repair value. Whoa, okay, that's a different. Yeah, and so, yeah, so that, I mean, that's, we've, we see some lenders, you know, saying that they'll lend up to 75%, and we see some lenders, you know, saying they'll do 65%. And so if you take a step back and just think about, the old rule of thumb, the 70% rule, that's basically the same as our loan, right? And so if we've heard of the 70% rule, it's there for a reason. And so when we see these other lenders offering up to 75% or just as the market changes and people want to borrow more, they, they got to understand that the 70% rule is there for a reason, right? And, and it's there because at a certain point, especially if you're borrowing hard money and you have these costs of financing, there's a tipping point where suddenly deals aren't aren't very profitable anymore. And so what we found is by having hopefully all of your costs, the purchase, the repairs, and the closing costs be equal to or less than 70% of the ARV, that almost guarantees that the deal is going to be profitable. Even when you go over budget, even when it takes longer than you initially thought, uh, all these things go wrong that we know are going to go wrong. Um, there's still going to be some good profit margin in there for you. And so as we're coming out of this great recession and, you know, we're, we're a decade down the road, uh, the market's getting tighter, you know, um, it's harder to find really profitable deals. And so there's a, a tipping point there where if you start pushing that 75% uh, or even 80%, I've seen wholesalers putting deals out where the purchase and repairs are 83% of the ARV, right. you know, those could be profitable for cash buyers, uh, those could be profitable for the investor who's also a real estate agent. And so they don't have the cost of at least one of the two agents um, or for contractors who are um, investors because they're, they're having these different ways of saving some costs. Um, but 
But if you're use if you're not a real estate agent, if you're not a contractor, if you do have to borrow money, whether it's from a private investor or from a hard money lender, all these extra costs start adding up. And when you're buying and and your purchase and repairs are over eighty percent, there's almost no way to be uh to be profitable or or very very slim margins, which does not allow a lot of uh, a lot of room for error. And is that uh, typically the things that you see both in the Denver and uh, Twin City markets? Yeah, we see that all the time. So the market has definitely been changing. Um, something that's really important to understand is you have to, you know, if you're if you're investing, if you're a lender, whatever it is, you need to understand that the market is always changing. Um, and so trying to stay just one step ahead, or at least aware of what those changes are, is going to be incredibly important. Um, but yeah, the the markets have gotten tighter, so sellers know that their property is worth more. Um, than it used to be. You know, values are going up. Even if it's an ugly, distressed property, values are still going up. Um, ARVs, the after repair value, is also going up. Um, but those have kind of been slowing down because as, uh, you know, in Denver, I think when we first met, maybe the standard, uh, the average home sale price was maybe 250000 or something like that. But nowadays, mm-hmm. it's like it's like $500,000. So right. it's, it's like doubled over the past decade. Um, and so when that's the average home sale, what does it cost for a first time home buyer to get in? Um, and then how much harder is it? Have, have incomes gone up in an equal proportion so they can qualify for these things? And so in, in some cases not. And so it's harder for buyers to, to justify and pay these much higher ARV prices. So the ARV might be slowing down a little bit or at least be harder to attain as it continues to skyrocket. Uh, again, the sellers are really proud of their properties. And they're not letting it go for pennies on the dollar anymore. And then the thing in the middle, the, the middle number, is the cost of construction. And materials have gone up, labor has gone up, uh, and so that middle area is also going up. And so when your purchase price is, is skyrocketing, when your cost of construction is skyrocketing, um, even if the ARV is continuing to, to increase at a similar rate, having both of those other two variables, the purchase and repairs climbing, again, really puts a squeeze on the investor and and the potential margins they can make. So I understand you now uh, have a coaching program and with the vast knowledge that you have, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people will be uh, benefit uh, joining your program. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So what I've found over the years, uh, first off, I personally, I'm really drawn to rental properties. So I still really enjoy doing fix and flips and, and the new build. And I love, uh, actually, before we jumped on this, I was hanging out with one of my new build uh, clients um, and chatting about one of the projects that they were doing. Um, but personally, I'm focused on my investing now on buying buying rental properties, buying and holding. And what I found in being parts of different networking groups and mastermind groups and um, and just talking to people over the past you know decade is that um, as much as the real estate investor associations are out there and they're teaching a lot of newbies and, and folks on how to get in and a lot of folks have to get in and start with wholesaling and then they want to get into fix and flips and then maybe someday they'll buy a rental property and, and they, they're putting together a similar vision to what I did when I got started. There's also a need for a lot of these uh, entrepreneurs and, and business owners and, and just top performers, you know, across the board, who need to do something else with their money. They want to find another avenue to invest in other than the stock market. Um, and so they're they're killing it in their business, but they're not really sure what to do with it. And so, um, what 
the the niche I've kind of formed and the, the folks I'm helping are those successful business owners and stuff. And I'm helping them buy rental properties and I'm showing them how to do it and really just streamlining the process. They don't need to understand wholesaling. They don't need to understand fix and flips. There's certain aspects, you know, of acquisitions and of rehabbing properties that, that are important, but really they just want to say, I've got some money. I want to invest it into a cash flowing asset. Justin, how do I do that? Help me get there faster and easier and help me avoid all the potholes. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been taking them by the hand. I work with a small, small handful of, of clients and I just guide them through the journey of, okay, well, what, what are the important criteria and what are we trying to accomplish? Do you want to replace your income so that you can focus more on the business and the growth and the creative side and less on worrying about how you're going to make payroll? Great. Let's try and get some rental properties for that. Or, hey, you know, I want to make sure my wife and family are set up. And, you know, if something happens to my business, we have assets that will take care of that. And so we just we work really closely to find out what their goals are and then how can we get them there quicker and easier. And that's really what I've been doing and been having a lot of success. I just had a client, uh, a coaching client buy uh, their first rental property last week uh, and just really super excited to, to watch them all of a sudden start growing. How are people finding out about uh, this program? Do they just um, contact you directly or you have a website for it? It's just separate from Pine? Yeah, so this is definitely separate from Pine Financial. Um, and so really the best way is just through meeting folks, chatting with them, attending some of our other classes, uh, a lot of referrals, um, and really the best way to, to see if we're going to be a good fit because it's not for everybody. I don't have books and tapes. I'm not selling all that type of stuff. Like I said, it's a really, uh, you know, bespoke program where we customize it for exactly what the, uh, this individual wants. And so really the best way, if, if anybody thinks that they're, they would be a good fit or this, this might be able to help them out. Um, we can just jump on a, a call and chat. And so there, I've got a calendar set up where we can book a call. It's, uh, the website is callwithcoop.com. Uh, pretty, uh, straightforward, but uh, you know, if anybody's interested, just go over to callwithcoop.com and we can book a time and, and just chat and we'll get to know each other and see if, if we fit, you know, because I don't want to work with someone that I don't get along with. I don't want someone to work or try to work with me who doesn't get along with me. Um, because there's going to be a lot of conversations back and forth. And so we want to make sure the personality fits. We want to make sure that I'm able to actually deliver um, what they're hoping to get. And so the best thing is really just start with that phone call. What's the most challenging thing for you right now? Um, probably my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and uh, we're at this amazing time where they're really getting really... Uh, playful with each other and they're interacting really well, but I, I'm constantly drawn towards being one of those helicopter parents and just constantly, you know, don't do this, be careful of that, be good to your sister, watch out for your brother. And, uh, and that's probably one of the hardest things is to pull myself back and say, okay, they've got to figure this out on their own uh, and not hover too, too closely. <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time out for this. You know, I know they're home. So before I let you go, just one last uh, questions here. Um, what's your go-to mindset or success quote? Um, so I don't, you know, I don't have a quote that comes to mind, but the biggest thing that, that always trips me up is uh, analysis paralysis, you know, or paralysis by analysis, just overthinking things, you know, getting into a, a spreadsheet or filling out a piece of paper with a pencil and then turning it over and erasing and trying it again. And, and ultimately that just leads to inaction, you know, or, or, 
a false sense of action because you think you're taking action because you're doing the analysis, but you're not actually, you know, whatever it is, making the offer, picking up the phone, going to the event, whatever it is. And so really the biggest thing is just, just taking action, just get out there and just do it. Just pick up the phone, talk to the person, knock on the door, make the offer, whatever it is. And that's, it's something I really wrestle with. Um, but that is always led to actually doing a deal and, and having more success. Just get out there and just take action. Awesome, Coop. Uh, it's been a pleasure, V. Great catching up. That's the end of the show. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a five stars rating and review on iTunes for the Real Estate Lab podcast. Until next time, have a prolific week.